0: and welcome to the BSA capital tech and transition energy podcast it's thursday the 9th of november and markets believe it or not are still horrid really really horrid um hi phil how are you
1: <laughs> i'm fine andrew um yeah sunny day but i'm look, I'm in agreement with you the market yes the markets are unfortunately really really horrid but there's some some good news about and some not so good news so it's a bit mixed
0: well, you know, the the problem is you, you you look out the window and I I've been looking out the window a lot recently. <laughs> Actually I'm reading a book at the moment called The End of the World Is Just Beginning. Or is just the beginning by Peter Zihan. Uh, I think quite a lot of people know this guy. I mean he's it's it's an interesting book because I agree with a lot of what he's saying. Um but he also misses out on some key points. Um, but, you know, when you, when you start to look at the big things in the world that are going on and try and work out where you put your money, it is a very complex picture because the world has changed. You know, the last uh, 50 years, we, we saw dramatic, I mean, really dramatic change. And a lot of it was down to globalisation, effectively, should we say, peace around the world, strong America, a very strong China growing like I don't know what. Um, And everything was good. But everything's been thrown upside down now, unfortunately, because of the Ukraine war with Russia, the Middle East situation, China changing completely. And you look around the world and, and, you know, I'll tell you what, I, I think there are You know, when you look at what makes a stable country, a stable country needs basically energy, food, natural resources and probably technology now to be a country you want to be to be successful. Um, Now, energy is much simpler now because we're going to go running around after oil and gas, you know, solar wind batteries, frankly, everybody can have them. And that's why we're going to go that way. Food's quite a tricky one, actually, I mean, to be really self-sufficient. the USA is in a great position because it is self-sufficient in food. It's also self-sufficient in energy. Actually, it has good natural resources and technology, which is why the US is the market that's booming at the moment, I suspect. Food, you can see why Russia wants Ukraine back because that, that is, you know, massive food producer. Uh, natural resources, uh, I mean, that's why there is always such a fight in places like Africa and South, South America um, because we don't have a lot of natural resources in in well china does in some but not in every case uh europe struggles slightly technology i mean the us and europe probably are the winners there uh, and it, you, you then start looking around the world and you, by the way you can't ignore money as well that you'd have to write a whole book on money um you start going around the world i mean personally I, I think that china is not somewhere i want to invest for the next 50 years russia eastern europe no don't want to go there I think most people know that I'm incredibly bearish on Germany. And likewise, I think Europe has got so many issues. Middle East, I want to go out there. Not at the moment, no. Africa and South America, they're just hunting grounds. Do you know what? I go around the world. The US still looks good, but it's just totally overvalued. India, maybe, but I don't really understand it well enough. Probably Australia looks the best because it's got all four of those. I might have to just go and retire there, Phil, I think. Don't go yet, Andrew. Life would be $5. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, I don't know how I got ranting on that, but that was my thought. I've been thinking about this a lot, where I put my money, I suppose. That's what I've been thinking about. Now, look, I've also got to just... Uh, we have talked a lot on this podcast about, podcast about um, how uh, the American market is just looking so toppy at the moment. Um, and and every is off the scale when you look um, at the sort of... Um, relative valuations to the rest of the world and how the big seven out there are worth the whole of the rest of every stock market in the world. I have talked a little bit on this podcast about my concerns for the Sandlam AI fund, which I've basically been in since inception in the middle of 2017. And by the way, it's been a great fund run by Chris Ford. It's part of the Sandlam portfolio. I did go to Chris Ford and actually asked him, look, you know, you seem to have 65% of your portfolio in the, in the US market. I'm a bit worried by that. I don't really want to sell my fund. Um, but I don't like that exposure. You know, what are you thinking about? Um, so actually, he came back with quite an interesting answer to me. So first of all, Chris, thank you for coming back. Um, but he pointed out the MSCI World Index actually um, 72% basically is North America. So he's actually underweight North America already. But also he has a couple of stocks. Um, I'm going to pronounce these completely wrong, but Merca de Libre uh, and Globant, uh, both of which happened to be listed in New York, but actually a domicile in Uruguay. So he's sort of arguing that they're actually Uruguay stocks, not North American stocks. Might have North American ratings, though. But that would actually bring him around about 59% of the fund invested in the U.S., which probably is acceptable. He also did point out that because uh, his fund uses AI to target AI, uh, it is actually slowly taking profits out of the U.S going more into sort of Asia-Pacific areas and that sort of thing. So he is actually, it's all sort of happening a little bit anyway. Um, But, you know, he can't just bail out of the US for the sort of fund that he is. So I suppose, first of all, it was quite a good answer you gave me, so I appreciate that. Um, And I'm actually going to hang on to my Sandlam AI fund for what it is worth. Um, Anyway, there you go. There's a little update on that one. But as for the rest of it all, ugh, ugh, this market is, ugh, what can I say? What can you say, Phil? What can you tell us?
1: Well, I, <laughs> you, you, you made an interesting comment there about a fund's exposure. And you know, I always looking at my investments and what funds are in. And it is really, really important to do. Uh, just in terms of how it's spread, and as you say, the weighting geographically, but there is no denying that very much, you know, all of the performance right now is continues to come from the states. It it re- it really really does, um, you know, and those tech companies, and we've had, you know, sort of continuing results coming through from the from the U.S. and they've not been, you know, they've not been all that. Um, all that bad, and we'll get get on to some of the European ones. But uh, yeah, no, that's that's but interesting observation there about the U.S. exposure, particularly about AI um, and and investing in AI. But I don't know if you saw um, ARM had their quarterly results on Yeah, Oracle.
0: a little bit disappointing now below the IPO price of fifty one dollars. So, uh, but tell us more. Tell us more of your thoughts.
1: Yeah, well, is it, I mean, I used to... Well, you, you were very, very closely involved in Arm when it was listed in the UK. I was covering Arm as an analyst um, in the UK, and it was always about, with this company, very much the longer-term... Well, one is a longer-term view, and that's what's happening with their licensing um, sales of, of technology, because that's companies actually investing in their tech rather than necessarily producing goods that are using their tech, which drives the royalties. And I thought the licensing sales were very strong. um, And they said that they'd seen particular investment from Google, Meta, and Nvidia in developing AI capable semiconductors with their technology. And that's the longer term, it's a longer term picture. But on the royalties, I think, disappointed. I mean, the royalties declined by 5%. Um, and they commented on, you know, partly weaker smartphone demand. But, I mean, we've seen that so widely with smartphones. And we've got to remember that, you know, s- smartphones were the initial driver or, you know, the original core driver for arms royalty revenue streams because of the sheer volumes that go into mobile phones. So that, that disappointed. And I think that the outlook, you know, for the third quarter, this was second quarter, but for the third quarter was slightly below... Um, analyst estimates, but I get back to that thing of Arm's always reported quarterly, Andrew, and there's always been this sort of, very much a quarterly focus. didn't disappoint, didn't disappoint, but there is a longer term thing here, and I think that the licensing side for me was was encouraging.
0: Well, we'll watch this space uh, with Arm. It'll obviously always be one that uh, is of interest in the UK, but of course it is listed in the States, so we don't have investors in it, probably, unless you've got People investing in the U.S. stocks,
1: yeah. You're right. Okay. Anyway, swiftly moving on um, and on to EVs. There is so much news about the electric vehicle space at the moment. Um, you know the Chinese influence in that space, which markets are selling, which aren't. Are people actually buying EVs? Anyway, uh, the one um, interesting set, another interesting set of numbers was Rivian, uh, quid on Nasdaq, ticker's RVN. Um, and they reported this electric vehicle maker, they reported that they were actually reducing uh, their losses. Um, third quarter results actually beat Wall Street expectations. Um, and they raised their annual production uh, guidance from 52,000 vehicles to 54,000 vehicles. So clearly, making a product that people actually. Um, actually want so that was that was quite interesting to see because there's been also some sort of negative news on the ev sector as well with others you know obviously um making significant losses um and falling sales so that was quite uh that's quite good to see it's it's a complex picture right now the electric vehicle space and also in that sector under was Dowley's. um so i think it's dwl now, if, uh, investors will remember this was a spin out from melrose and of course it's gkn automotive is the is the core business there and they're one of the biggest suppliers of electric vehicle drive platforms um globally and they reported a trading update for the four months to october uh, expanding operating margins which was very encouraging to see given the you know inflationary costs um in the sector labor and parts costs uh they'd also managed to absorb the impact of the strikes in the u.s in terms of you, you know what's been happening with sales and demand um, and they reported revenues up by 4.7 percent to 1.8 billion um, but quite you know for something we really focused on is that operating margin and their operating margin was 6.8 um, uh, percent and that was up uh, what i call 100 basis points uh, on the prior period so that was I thought that was pretty good actually and they commented that they're continue to generate very healthy free uh, cash flow and reducing their Debt, so I thought that was, that was good. So numbers,
0: yeah. Good. I mean, I, I looked at that. I mean, I think, I mean, we are seeing those some obviously some the problem that downloads have probably got is we're seeing obviously dramatic change in the automotive industry because of the transitional energy revolution, moving to EVs, electric motors, etc. Funny, I was having a chat with somebody the other day about our client, EquipMate, which obviously we've yeah. talked about quite a lot. And I mean, the comment to me was, Andrew, look, we get why you like EquipMake but it's, it's quite highly valued. And, you know, my reply to them was that it, it is, but they've got something, from what I can see, that no one else has got almost globally. And that is because they're basically electric motor inverter system, which is one of the heart of any EV. I mean, an EV is pretty simple, really. It's an electric motor it's battery packs, which are pretty standard, and some software with a computer, if you see what I mean. It, that electric motor, getting that bit right and getting it to a power capability for a, a low weight is so critical. And it does appear that that's what they've got, which so few other people have got, and they all sort of need it to fit into their vertically integrated model. Um so it's a bit of a red herring, that I know, but I'm just pointing out that that actually is why I think Equipmate is the valuation it is, because it's actually got something. What's interesting, of course, you know, the UK is actually bloody good at this sort of stuff because of Formula One. Uh, a lot of our um, automotive technology comes out of Formula One. That's where it's stimulated. And, you know, we are the home of
1: Formula One. Um, some phenomenal technology. Anyway, so that was a slight red herring. Carry on. Well, just to close on that one, is the CEO of EquipMate is ex head of R and D for Williams at Formula One.
0: He was, which is why he's so smart. And he actually, <laughs> by the way, for what it's worth, he sold his first business to GKN.
1: He did. He did indeed. That's quite quite correct. So there we there we go. <laughs> right. Staying on the theme of um, of uh, uh, tech and something that probably has been very highly valued, a uh, series power. Ticket is CWR, and this is uh, solid oxide uh, electrolyzers uh, for producing hydrogen, and uh, they'd announced that they'd produce the first of a kind solid oxide electrolysis demonstrator to produce hydrogen, um, and that's going to Shell's R&D Centre in India, and it's a one-megawatt-scaled uh, demonstrator. So... Um, we'll see what that produces. I mean, they've said that uh, it requires less than 40 kilowatt hours of electricity energy to produce one kilogram of hydrogen, 25% more efficient than incumbent technologies. Um, so, claiming to have leading edge tech um, there and working closely with Shell. But I don't think there's anything else to sort of add, add to that, really. But uh, staying on to um, back, getting back onto battery tech, I don't think you saw Gellion, Andrew. Well yes, carry on. They've Give me made your a, yeah, they, they've made a, yeah, they've raised uh, they've raised four point five million pounds um, on the markets so and they've acquired a uh, yeah, it's a UK battery tech developer, uh, OXLID and that's a lithium sulfur batteries. Um, so you know, obviously looking to expand their technology portfolio, but uh, I think this is an area you've looked at before actually, lithium sulfur, isn't it, Andre? I've had a lot of a look
0: at lithium sulphur. There was a company called Oxus Energy that, oh, that was very, very good at it, um, but unfortunately didn't survive. Uh, lithium sulphur batteries are really quite a, a niche, shall we say, uh, area. My, my problem, well, I have a few problems with Kelly, on, I'll be absolutely honest with you. I mean, I, I don't know them well enough, so I have to be careful what I say. They're basically an Australian company. Um... They were zinc bromide, weren't they? Yep. Um, and, you know, that's hard enough to develop, as we know, a zinc bromide battery, full stop. You need a vast amount of money. Um, trying to do two different sorts of batteries, all right, where you've got a zinc bromide and a lithium sulfur battery, that is just, it's not doubling the size of the problem. It's actually probably tripling it. Um, you've got to be really focused on your one technology, in my view. We saw with AMTE, if you remember, they had various different batteries that were trying to do, and basically they've not quite gone belly up, but I think they are basically belly up. Um, so I, I, you know, and, okay, they've raised $4 million. Um, $4 million in the battery world just goes absolutely nowhere. Uh, this really is a big boys game. So, look, I mean, I've never met them. Uh, if anybody wants to come around and talk to me about uh, what they're up to, etc., uh, I'm more than happy to meet. Um, but I would have to say, I mean, I think when those that remember when it floated, uh, I think it floated at like 150 and shot straight up to three quid back in the middle of 2022 when the markets were going uh, absolutely bananas. Here we are down at 24p, um, not being an easy one and right now i couldn't really get excited by it
1: but as i say i'm happy to be proven wrong if somebody wants to come and talk to me about it there we are okay right um another one uh company undertaking a fundraising this week was xp power uh xpp uh, the market caps 257 million they make uh, specialized power supplies that go into semiconductor waste fab equipment industrial equipment things like digital projectors but also powering hospital beds um, and uh, hospital bedside monitoring equipment. So very, very specialized power supplies. Um, the company had a trading update in the uh, in October for its third quarter, um, citing below their expectations, weaker in market demands, uh, customers deferring shipments, economic uncertainty in China, etc., etc., So, not necessarily good to them. Uh, They haven't seen recovery in semiconductor manufacturing, in particular, uh, equipment there. But and they are exposed to that uh, to that cycle. Um, So they've announced that uh, they have raised funding because the company uh, net debt at the end of the third quarter was about 163 million pounds, and they've raised, I think, uh, about 43, yeah, 44 million pounds. Uh, placing price of eleven pounds fifty on the market this week, um, so that's to sort of help them. I think in you know particularly working capital uh, as demand uh, hopefully recovers for that business. But uh, yeah, shame, pretty to see actually. I mean, the, the share price peaked at uh, bloody hell uh, fifty six pounds in August two thousand twenty one. Um, I was closing it yesterday at about £13, so uh, not... There's really- a lot of
0: stocks you look at now, if think, God, if only I'd
1: sold them back a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, but moving on to investing um, and in the wider tech space, HG Capital Trust. Uh, this is one that uh, Andrew and I have discussed uh, previously, when they reported results, uh, HGt is the ticker. 1.8 billion is the market cap, so it's a big trust. It's exposed to software, um, and a really it's an interesting fund. This one, HG Capital, because it's it's all about software and tech that enables businesses to be you know it's uh, it's business services in software and um, with high recurring revenue streams. Um, and the fund's been around for 25 years. There's a long track record to look at uh, with HG Capital. Uh, they've reported their third quarter. Um, NAV's increased by 4.8% to uh, £4.94. Net assets of £2.3 billion. Um, so the share price, I think, at the moment, I don't know if you've got it on screen, but yesterday was 379p. Uh, against a NAV of 494p, so it's about a 20, just over 20% discount. Uh, What was interesting this third quarter uh, is that their top 20 investments, which are 76% of the portfolio value, so it's a a portfolio, I think they've got over 45 investments, uh, but they've seen EBITDA growth of 27%. Um, during the period which is really strong so this is this is from their portfolio companies so these are big software big-ish software companies uh, but private ones so an interesting one to look at I think HGT Yeah look I'll tell you what you got the price right um, I'll tell you
0: what annoys me is that you don't hear about HG Capital Trust that much you, you always hear about IP or Molten Ventures both those trade about 50% discount they've both been horrible stocks to be in if you look at HG Capital, actually, what a performer it's been. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, you could have bought this back, you know, beginning of the, the, the noughties or whatever at 30p, and here you are at 390p. Thank you very much. That's a nice return. The chart is just spectacular. Uh, this is the one that people should have been in, not all of these other ones. Um, so well done, HG Capital. Um, Probably, should I be switching my IP group into HB Capital? They also, I mean, they don't have the sort of cost base that Bloomin' IP group and Moulton have. They, it's, it is a much better stock. Oh, it's a difficult one, isn't it, when things have performed really well uh, and you've got something that hasn't performed well. It's the hardest switch to do, to sell a stock that's been badly performing, to put it into a stock that's been performing well. But often it is the best switch to do. Cut your losses and go into the winner. Um I don't know, tricky one, I'll have to think about it.
1: And well, I've been thinking about it too, Andrew. And I agree with you, you're right. Do you sell one that's underperforming? But but this, they, they, they write, well, they quote on these results that uh, an investment of £1,000 20 years ago would now be worth £22,000. They do have a track record.
0: Uh, well, that's basically what I was just saying, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, they picked their date very nicely, funny enough, because I, I talked about two thousand at being about thirty p. They did then fall down to about thirteen p, which is why they can have a, a higher return. That was in in sort of two thousand and three. So that's where their that twenty years ago is. Uh, yeah. Look, it, it's it's a great situation. It's been a great situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's a difficult one.
1: It is. Right. Okay. I'm a mal on
0: that. There you go. Keep going.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Just yeah. So leave that one there. Um, I'll tell you what, what's been interesting this week is wider results as well in the consumer space. Um, you know, ultimately, uh, tech does end up in consumers' hands, just in terms of consumer spend in the UK. I don't know if we make that, Andrew. It's so all the results from M&S, WH Smiths, Weatherspoons. Which were all, uh,
0: yeah, they're all been pretty good actually, haven't they? Uh, and Weatherspoons have have taken out the myths and given us the facts, whatever, as as Tim Martin likes to. Um, I mean, actually, the UK. I mean, we sort of bumble along, all right, don't we? That's the funny thing about the UK. Everyone's always very critical about it. Um, actually, we don't do badly. Uh, people do still sort of want to spend cautiously. I think we'll probably have a late Christmas, but it'll probably be. Okay, by the way, when I say we'll have a late Christmas, no, it will be on the 25th of December. What I mean is the shopping season will be late. Um, yeah, look, it's uh, there aren't too many horrible whoopsies out there. But what I would also say is I have a feeling that there's probably a lot of companies out there that are starting to see the cash draining out. And starting next year, we could have quite a lot of companies falling, falling into administration. It could be quite painful, I think, the first quarter of next year. Who knows? Well, I'm supposed to be giving a clue because I'm supposed to be clever at this game, but I don't really know. But I just sense that, yeah, it's, it is getting pretty tough out there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, it
0: really maybe, good. who knows? November the 22nd, we have the, the awesome statement. Mr. Bean, oh, sorry, Jeremy Hunt. They do look very similar. They seem to behave in a similar way as well. Uh, maybe have some good news for us.
1: Well, I hope so, Andrew. And I have to thank Tim Martin for a very nice mixed grill on Saturday
0: which is what he's saying. Myth has it, he said, that Weatherspoons is only for poor people. You've just proved it. You went for your mixed grill, and you're clearly a very rich analyst.
1: (laughs) Andrew... If you're
0: listening, Tim, which I don't suppose you are, there you go. I've just proved your point.
1: (laughs) Andrew, what does it say? On that note, (laughs) I don't have any more tech news for this week.
0: Yeah, it's it's all... uh, quite quiet and a bit grim, isn't it? Uh, So we'll make it a nice short one. That's fine. Uh, Very good. And we'll be back again next week. Thank you. We certainly will. Look forward to that, Andrew.